is your body as an autonomic nervous system and it responds to fear, anxiety, you know, these things and it manifests usually with most people in sort of more rapid breathing. Part of what I have learned in other parts of my life is that, hey, just watch the way you're breathing. If you're starting to hyperventilate, shallow breathe or not breathe deeply, you're, you're nervous. It doesn't matter what your brain is saying because your body is in flight of uh, fight or flight mode. Let's say 30 knots, which is about 60 kilometers an hour on the ocean, and it's all wind-driven, and so it's very isometric. You've got to have very good form, and so your body's always under tension. And you know, 30 years of doing that or more, um, I think I came in with a pretty good base, but it was not specifically trained to weight training. It was more... Um, around being conditioned to being under stress for lengthy periods of time. Right. Welcome back to the Strength Institute podcast, everyone. Today I have my dad, Dusan Mills, here with me. Um, it has been actually a hot minute since he's been in the studio, and the studio looks a lot different from the last time he was in here. Welcome back, and thank you for joining me. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me into this amazing audiovisual studio you've got set up. That's right. Um, I have Dad on today because we are going to be doing a, uh, a quick preview of what we're doing over the next week. Um, and for those that don't know, those that don't follow the channel um, already, uh, Dad is going to be competing at the GPC uh, Masters World Powerlifting Championships in Slovakia uh, this Sunday, this podcast is going to get released on Friday. So when they're watching it, we'll be uh, heading into the competition to get ready for weigh-ins. Um, and it's actually been a little bit of a journey uh, getting here. So uh, do you want to quickly let everyone know um, how you got started in powerlifting and how this little journey sort of developed? Uh, yeah, well, I uh, started training about four years ago. Uh, and that was because I, I'd had a lifetime of competitive windsurfing and I wanted to learn how to foil, which is a whole new trick in that sport. And uh, I needed to get strong to do that. And so I came in and said, hey, Nev, can you get me, you know, get me a bit stronger? So that was four years ago. And, um, you know, with the training, I accomplished what I wanted to do with the first part of it. But then you saw that I was pushing some weight and suggested I go into a competition. And um, I entered that competition and broke some Australian records. And well, that's all she wrote. <laughs> yeah. So originally the goal, and people can look back, and I'll link the video um, in here up in the top right corner, um, top, top right corner, uh, was that we had a um, the, the road to a world record uh, sort of uh, video that we filmed. Because originally... Um, the record that you were going to want to try to break was the world squat record. And um, th at the time, you were an M7, which was uh, 70 to 74 years old. You competed in the 82 and a half kilo weight class. And like you said, you'd already broken a few of the Australian records. And I think you broke the total, the bench, and the squat, but not the deadlift. So you had three out of the four from memory. Yeah, that's right. And things were going really well. So we started training up and you were – competing in, in classic powerlifting, so all three lifts. Um, but you did start to get some issues with your knees and back and ankles, um, which have sort of pushed out this process and changed the goals moving forward. Um, 
Do you want to just let everyone know sort of how, how that un, un, unraveled itself? Yeah, it was stupid accident. Um, I was on a boat, came into a dock, thought I'd be a hero, jump off with a line to tie the boat up, and uh, landed awkwardly and jarred my back. And that compressed uh, some part of the lower spine and uh, triggered a year of nerve-related auto uh, immune responses, which are very similar to kind of rheumatic attacks. <clears throat> and during that time, I really uh, lost a lot of muscle mass in my legs, uh, lost proper walking control and so forth. I mean, I could get around, but it was sort of hobbling. And um, so, so the training then changed uh, really in response to those limitations. Um, I've always sort of been a bit of an athlete during my life. And my response to this was, well, let's work with what we've got. So the lower half of the body went into an extensive uh, rehab program, which is still going on. And the upper half of the body, uh, we started training for bench. And um, so I've been kind of living this dual existence. But uh, I think it's really paid off because the bench uh, has improved out of sight. Yeah, I think what, what we sort of saw happen was you had a, you had a pretty um, you you had a, already had a good squat and a good bench and your deadlift was was pretty good. It wasn't the Australian record, but in saying that it was still competitive deadlift, which gave you a strong total as well. But when we couldn't squat or deadlift and we sort of refocused things into just upper body, um, it it really allowed you to focus and 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 build that chest a lot more. And it sort of jumped ahead leaps and bounds of where it was. Um, I do recall when you first. Uh, saw me for a session we couldn't get a set of six out on the uh on, on 40 kilos on bench press uh without the chest sort of fatiguing out and then um i want to say that the first australian record that you broke was in the 80s it was like 82 and a half kilos 85 85 kilos and then from there um we we so well, what's the world record at and it was at 102 and a half kilos so we continued to train and again, because we were only training upper body, more or less, um, we were able to really focus on that bench press. And now at the last competition you did was a GPC local competition. Um, uh, wasn't Perth Cup, uh, Western Classic Perth Cup. One of the GPC local comps. State, uh, states. All the states. It was states. And you ended up hitting a 100 kilo bench uh, at states. Correct? Yep. Yep. yep, 100 kilos. So, um, so when you hit the 100... Sort of what, what was going through your mind then in terms of the, the, the goal of trying to get a world record? Well, a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is that uh, in this last comp, the States, I'd aged out of the previous group. Yes. So I'm now in the 75 to… 79. The M8s. Uh, the M8s. The M8s. The old boys. <laughs> the super dinosaurs. There's actually there's, there's, there's even divisions past this. So yeah. you, you haven't maxed out… Yeah. Time itself just yet. So in any event, uh, I went, and that was the first time at the States competing in the new um, age division. And uh, pulling the 100, it felt like it sort of came easy. Um, I mean, I, I'd actually bombed out in the earlier lift because of some uh, technique issues. Yeah, technicality. So you, you rushed your... Um you have to wait for the calls in powerlifting. Once you unrack a bench press, for those that aren't familiar, you have to, when it's stable, they will say start, and then you can bring the bar down to your chest. When the bar is motionless on your chest, they will call press. 
you then press it up in one motion. It can't go back down once it started going up. And uh, and then when you get to the top, you have to wait, and then they will call rack. And so I think you jumped the gun on one of those calls, so you got red-lighted for it originally. Yeah, it was the first one, so we repeated the opening lift, which was 90. And then uh, came the third left, and it was your suggestion. You said, hey, you know, why don't you go for the 100? I, I think I'd done a cheeky 100 in training. I think before that, the best you'd done in comp was 97 and a half. Right, yeah. So in my mind, there was no point in doing a 97 and a half. You'd already done it in comp. You had done 100 in training, but that's not official. That's not, you know, in competition. It's not sanctioned. Um, so it was... I thought it would be a better idea to go for the for the hundred. Yeah, and I, your other comment was that I'd already broken the Australian record for the new age group, which I think it had been at eighty, so it was well above that. Yep. So we pushed the hundred, and um, well, it came a lot easier than I thought. And uh, so afterwards, we had a bit of a chat. Well, you know, what's the world record? It was just two and a half kilos away. And um, you know, I've been living in this kind of uh, twilight zone that old people live in where you're told that you're going to just get weaker and one day you'll fall over and die. And in fact, with the training, with the powerlifting, uh, in the four years that I've been doing it, objectively, I've gotten much stronger to the point now where I'm pushing 76 and I'm much stronger than I was at 70. And no end in sight. So it's like someone's given me this gift of yeah. being an athlete uh, in my mind. It's like, well, let's see how far we can take this. So uh, you came to the party and said, okay, well, well, let's put together a program and see where we can take it. Right. And it's interesting you said that, you know, you, you, you aged up to the 75, to the new weight class. You know, you're almost at 76 years old now, um, but you continue to get stronger and you're stronger than you were when you were 70. And I dare say probably stronger than you were when you were 60. Like, did you train any weights when you were younger? Or uh, did, you just play, did you just play sports? No, uh, I didn't really train weights. Um, but I did compete uh, pro-am windsurfing, sort of internationally, uh, across a whole range of classes. And in the later years, uh, specializing in high wind slalom. So uh, there you are racing at let's say 30 knots, which is about 60 kilometers an hour on the ocean, and it's all wind-driven, and so it's very isometric. You've got to have very good form, and so your body's always under tension, and you know, 30 years of doing that or more. Um, I think I came in with a pretty good base, but it was not specifically trained to weight training. It was more um, uh, around being conditioned to being under stress for lengthy periods of time. Right, but and also with that is is – with windsurfing, you're, hold, you're holding onto the mast. So it's, yeah, it's grip, it's forearms, it's biceps, it's shoulders, it's back, but it's not really pressing muscles. Uh, no, it's not. It's, uh, it's more uh, a pulling motion yeah. and it's tensioning uh, and really activating the core because at the end of the day, you can't bench press your way around a 30-knot breeze. Uh, what you're doing is you're channeling all of that energy through your arms, through a straight back into your legs and you're slanted your body slanted downwards into the board. So all of that force is being conducted through your body into your feet and driving the board forward. And then the the, the rest of it is the technique of angling the sail. So you're getting as much uh, sort of aeroplane wing lift as you can off that sail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and so you get pretty good static leg conditioning doing the windsurfing as well? Yeah. The legs were particularly strong. And uh, that um, – so in my mind, uh, the genetic – a gift that the family has is strong legs. 
And so it was a bit of an issue when, uh, you know, when the legs got more or less taken away. It was like, okay, well, how are we going to do this? Yeah. Uh, you know, do we walk around on our hands? Well, maybe we do. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, you, you have, and I think windsurfing did help that. And I mentioned it's a lot of, you know, bicep and, and, and shoulders strength. And as a kid, you did sort of continue to embarrass me in front of my friends where for a long time, uh, when my friends would start to beat their dads in arm wrestling through school and, you know, when they were finishing school, I was about four or five years behind um, because you had a set of pipes on you from from windsurfing, which is uh, which is rude to to embarrass and humiliate your son in front of all of his friends for for multiple years. And then when I did finally get you one time, you have since refused to ever arm wrestle me again. And I feel like I didn't get that sense of like satisfaction of beating my dad in arm wrestling very much. You know. Well, I think part of that competition between you and I happened between the ears, particularly in the later years, where uh, you know once that trash talking and sort of putting you off, which is kind of the psychological edge that you have as a cunning old rat, uh, was dissipated when you beat me. Was, well, there's no point in, you know, the magic trick's been revealed. <laughs> you can't do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well, it was, uh, yeah. I think you did have a good base coming in. But it is interesting because you do, and you've talked about it before, you do um, hear a lot, you know, people getting older, you're going to lose muscle mass, you're going to lose bone density, you're going to get weaker which is true to an extent, and that's why strength training is so important. Um, but, but what would your recommendations be to older people having actually experienced what the benefits are of doing consistent weights training? Well, I think uh, there are two parts to that. The first part has to do with your starter condition. Now, if you've got some genetic deficiency or if you're ill from some disease or if you've been in some accident – and you're dealing with all of that, all of that's going to govern what your capability is and how you should deal with your body. If you don't have those things, then what's really clear is that your biggest barrier to self-improvement is ageist stereotypes about what old people can and can't do. Yeah. And um, probably the, the best example of that was with, um, uh, with a cardiologist who's, uh, you know, who had, I'd been consulting with about just general fitness and health. Uh, and we went down that sort of rabbit hole of, uh, you know, we're going to do all this kind of preventative stuff because you're going to get older. So, you know, onto this drug and, you know, change your diet and da, da, da. Yep. And what happened was over a five-year period, I just simply got weaker and weaker to the point where, uh, I'm not blaming this on him, but uh, one of the things we were doing was low-dose aspirin for, for blood thinning and pressure yeah. as a preventative, ended up uh, getting a stomach ulcer and winding up in hospital having transfusions, transfusions because this and that. And when that happened, I called Bali on that game and I said, this is ridiculous. And this was part of coming to you and saying, hey, listen, I don't think there's anything wrong here. I just am weak. I need to get stronger. And I had the windsurfing thing, which, which I kind of like. I mean, my response to sport is – that kind of sport does two things. One part of it is the competition. But when you're out there lifting a weight or, you know, bombing around the ocean in a race, there's no negotiation. You can't kind of fake nature out. You can either do this stuff or you can't do it. Yep. And uh, so it's putting time in, which is one part of it. And the other part of it is getting rid of all the noise in your head that's telling you can't do something. And so... Um, so when, when we changed, when I changed and decided, well, I'm not going to follow that advice because actually these are all preventatives. There's nothing wrong with me, actually. Uh, we did it 
scientifically, where we maintain blood panels, check the diet, which went hyperprotein and everything else. And <clears throat> two years into that, and in fact, after I broke those Australian records, uh, we pulled the results and compared. And um, my bloods were the best they'd ever been. My body mass index was the best it had been since I'd been a kid. My bone density was in the 98th percentile. I had a bone density of a gorilla. So objectively, by all the scientific measures, um, just going down the path of looking after myself and training hard, I'd become objectively stronger and healthier by all of the measures. And actually, it was kind of an interesting conversation with the, cardio, uh, with the cardiologist um, uh, subsequently when you know, we had that chat where he agreed. He said, well, the science is the science. Yes, what you're doing has obviously benefited you a lot more. Yeah. Um, and, and that really kind of crystallized what the issue was in that relationship that I had with him as an advisor, which was that he, habitua he was habituated to turning people he spoke to into, uh, into patients. So I was a patient of his. Whereas really the correct mindset there was, well, there's actually nothing wrong with me. You're on team Mills and I need your best advice to make me stronger. Yeah. And, and uh, so I think that's, that's a dilemma that most people who age or who are getting older deal with. Like I said, if objectively you've got disease, DNA, accident, you know, you've got those sorts of issues. Well, you can't help it. You just got to deal with that rationally. But if you don't have that, then the worst thing you can do is agree with everyone that you're just going to get old, weak, <laughs> that your fate is to die. Right. You know, uh, I think that's really kind of a lousy way to engage with life. Yeah, I agree. So flash, I guess, forward a couple of years into your training. You've had your knee and back issues. Just scoot in a bit because you keep taking yourself further away from okay. the photo here. Get in, get in here. A bit. All right. All right. Um, Flash forward a few years, uh, uh, we're, we're training hard. We've trans, um, we've moved across to training upper body only. We see that there's a world record that's probably in reach at the time when we looked at it. I think maybe your bench was in the low to mid 90s, 92 and a half, 95, something around there. So you're about 10, you know, odd kilos off. Um, why, you know, in your mind, obviously it's cool to try to break records. What, what made you want to? You know, I want to go to a world championship and I want to break this record, you know, overseas. What, what's going through the mind there? I'm a competitor. Yeah. I love to race. Right. I love to compete. And it's not so much about beating people. That just comes with the territory if you're really good. Uh, it's about being the best that I can be. And so um, I've found in life that just following that principle of being the best you can be is really a terrific set of guide rails on how you should sort of look after yourself. Right. And um, it's sort of rarely put me in a wrong place. Uh, and the other part of it is that you don't have to be clever to live by that kind of standard. It's just a simple thing. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so that's what it came down to. It's like, well, gee, this is kind of close. Um, we're going into ter territory where there are no markers uh, other, other than this world record. Yeah. And can we get there? Well, it's an interesting challenge. Let's see. Cool. 
Very cool. Uh, well, let me also say there are two other components to that. All right. One is having understanding family. <laughs> so I take my hat off to my wonderful wife who, uh, you know, indulges these kind of obsessions that I have uh, because the truth of it is to be any kind of an athlete or to be a high performer of any kind requires a certain obsessiveness and you need to have the gift of space to be that way. It's kind of the selfish thing or at least – there's a part that you can't share with other people. There's a selfish component to anything yeah. competitive. And, and, and the second part is having a, a really good coach. And that's, you know, in this case, you've been a terrific coach uh, because... Yeah, you're just trying to butter me up before we spend all this time traveling. Uh, yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. So but I think that's important because one size doesn't fit all in life. And uh, particularly with coaching and particularly in strength sports and particularly with people who are older where... Um, you need to adapt all of that to the fact that I can't recover as quickly. I can't, I don't have the endurance. You know, there, there are these sort of factual, factual things, which if you don't address, wind up in injury and failure. So, you know, there are great things like, okay, we're not going to train, we're going to sleep more. <laughs> I love that. You know, I love getting stronger by sleeping more. Thank you very much, Nevin. That was great advice. Uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's the family support. Uh, and for athletes of all ages. Um, and uh, then there's uh, coaching, which is specific to your uh, particular type. Yeah, that, that took some trial and error as well because um, we've trained, you know, quite a few um, different athletes. We got, you know, yourself, who's a, who's a master's athlete, uh, Denise, who was a master's athlete, um, uh, who has Commonwealth records and Oceania records and Australian records and powerlifting. You've got... Megan, who's Australia's strongest woman, and later in the year I'm going across to the US with her for world's strongest woman competition. But there's a big variety, and it's not like your training is different from Denise's training, which is different from Megan's training, which is different from how I would train someone else that's in their 60s or 70s. So what I found out pretty quickly with with you was that you you don't recover well. You take a long time to recover. If we push weights a little bit too heavy for a little bit too long, you overtrain quickly. And it takes a long time to recover from that. So you get this big dip down. We have to slowly build back up. Um, and, th and that comes in both volume and in intensity. So normally I would tell someone, if someone asked me, how many times a week should I train to get stronger? I say, look, a sweet spot is like four, four times a week. You can do some, if you have the time, you can do some nice splits, you know, an upper body mainly split, lower body twice a week each. If you are short on time, you can do, you know, three sessions a week. But really, I wouldn't suggest anything less than three sessions a week if you're trying to get stronger and optimize your strength. But for you, three sessions a week doesn't work long term. It's not sustainable. So we have only been training for the most part of, uh, of our training twice a week. And then only for about a month before our competition, we up it to three times per week. Um, and then again, if we were to do just strength range reps, which I do with a lot of clients, would do you know the majority of strength with some volume as a secondary you know emphasis. You is a lot of volume with a little bit of strength emphasis, and only really trying to get the strength reps up very close to the competition. And that seems to have worked um, best with you. How have you found sort of? Um, the different styles of training that we've gone over? How have you found your recovery? How have you found doing volume versus, you know, just strength stuff? And that sort of trial and error that we had to, to, to do to get there. Well, I think, once again, there are a couple of components to that uh, in terms of the design of the program. 
in terms of number of sessions, reps, uh, all of that. Um, you know, certainly we've been down a path of exploring the principle that less is more. Uh, and uh, so the payoff there has been really good, not only in terms of strength gains, but also in injury prevention. Uh, there's another component, which is what happens between your ears. And um, I have a very good training relationship with you because I don't like to chat when I'm training. Yeah. And the reason or, I don't... Or competing. Uh, or competing, and especially competing. Um, uh, in my mind, uh, having spent years in fierce international level competition, uh, what I found is that blocking out all the noise and just focusing on what I'm going to do works for me personally. And so... Um, uh, so to be chit-chatting... Uh, you know, while I'm training is really distracting and also getting kind of fake encouragement. Oh, you know, you're going to do this. Da, 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 da. You know, I find it really annoying. <laughs> I, I just like to have kind of silence when I'm training so I can get into that headspace, particularly when we're going for maximal lifts of imagining whatever it is that I use to, to focus clearly. But mostly it's about emptying, emptying the mind because I come from kind of an old school principle, which is that I trust the work. If you've done the time, if you've done the work, barring everything else, you should you know, be at PB or close to PB. You can't do better than PB. And if PB happens to coincide with some record, fantastic. If it coincides with some prize, fantastic. But getting the PB is 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 the thing and that um i don't care i mean i don't care that there are other people i don't care where i am i don't care where the meat is try to block all of that out and uh, what i see particularly with younger athletes who don't have that sort of campaign background is they get sucked into you know what other people are doing the trash talking the yahooing da 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 you know uh, and all of that so um, yeah, so there is that second component, which is a psychological component. And what I find with you, because I observe you training other people, that you automatically kind of dial into the psychological space that best reinforces the performance of the person you're dealing with. So there are some people you chat with and, you know, if you talk to me that same way, it just wouldn't work. Yep. So it's interesting that you mentioned that actually I, w I did a podcast with Megan and the tacky sisters podcast that she's on. I was an honorary guest and it hasn't been released yet, but she said the same thing. She, she asked, how do I, um, how do I know how to talk to my different clients and act with them differently? Because it's very different from how I train her to someone else to get the best out of them. And I thought it was interesting. And I, I don't, it's not something that I, am actively thinking about i guess i just sort of try to pick up you know what that person is like and and what would work best for them but it's not like i'm sitting down there with a notebook and, and thinking oh this person needs me to yell at them this person needs for me to, to be quiet this person needs this it's um it's interesting that different people do, do respond to different stimulus i guess yeah well you know i i think they do but i think there's an objective part of this as well which is that i don't subscribe to the oprah winfrey school of psychological motivation where just imagine something and just because you can imagine it that's what you're going to become yeah <laughs> I, don't, 
don't think it works that way. I think you actually need to uh, certainly need to focus and have an objective and work really hard. But uh, if you don't put in the hard work and if you uh, don't push away all the distractions so that you can focus on achieving the best that your work can produce, just imagining that you're going to be great is not going to get you anywhere. No. You're deluded, basically. Uh, however, that's how I respond. And the fact is that, you know, people are different everywhere. And there's some people who are so insecure that they need to have that sort of mental reinforcement. And so being able to spot somebody who needs that mental reinforcement is good. But I think where you get into th onto thin ice is having then have them imagine that the performance goes along with that. All that happens is that belief that I can be great um, is what they need to shut out the noise so that they can get on and do the work. So, uh, but I think, you know, at some intuitive level, you, you deal with that very well. So, cool. Thank you. Um, all right. So flash forward again. Um, we leave this week. We had our last heavy session last Friday. So we're giving ourselves just over a week deload. We are hitting three deload sessions, two to three deload sessions this week. We did our first one today. Um, today is Monday, um, even though this podcast will come out on Friday. Um, where we just worked up to your last warm-up set and then backed it down for some speed reps at about 60, less than 60%, oh, no, about 60% of, um, of your uh, current sort of weight that we're going for. Um, also, we were lucky enough to actually get the unofficial record twice in training before we left. So the record is 102.5. We've done a 103, and we've done a 105. We even loaded up a 107, which was going a bit messy, and so we racked that one up because we're not going to take any risks moving forward. And that just happened to fall in line with the heavy week of some singles. So um, if it wasn't there, we wouldn't have pushed it. Um, but luckily, that's where the strength was. So going into this, um, you know, we fly out in two days, um, heading into the meet. Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling uh, nervous? Like, what are your thoughts and feelings? You know, in the final week. We've got a weigh-in that happens in five or six days, and then you compete. So in five days, compete in six days. So what's going through your mind now? Well, I, well, first of all, I'm feeling good that I've hit PBs. Yep. So I'm in that space of PB territory. And at the moment, unofficially, that's close to where I want to be or close to that record. Now, hopefully I hit a PB on the day, and hopefully the PB gets me a podium or whatever. For me, getting the PB is the main thing. And at the moment, my PBs are in excess of the record. So if I, you know, uh, there's that part of it. But I'm actually not thinking very much about it at all. Um, and the reason is that the other thing that I learned from years of racing is that racing comes in two parts. The first part, which I think is the most difficult one, is to actually get to the start line. Because you can get injured, you can have issues with flights, you can have issues, you know, at the moment there's a war going on in the next country, you know, and they're talking about nuclear weapons and one thing or another. Um, and having, you know, raced in sailboat races, you spend six months training and you arrive at the championship competition and there's no wind, you know. So, uh, so really, uh, in my mind, it's about staying healthy not getting COVID, not catching a cold, not getting diarrhea because I eat the wrong thing. 
uh, and um, not being obsessive about that, but leading a very simple existence where I'm sort of minimizing risk in order to get myself to the start line. So that's kind of the mode that I'm in at the moment. And I don't worry about the competition because the work has been done and I'm going to lift what I left on the day. Uh, I imagine if I'm if I follow the way I usually do these things, I'll pop in and then, um, you know, go through the mechanics of signing in, weighing in, et cetera, et cetera, have a look at the setup and so on. Uh, but really my focus will switch to not thinking or trying not to think, you know, blocking out the competition, blocking out that I'm in some foreign country with these people, you know, and there's this thing going on and just um, getting ready for the warm up for the lifts and executing the lifts. And, um, and then in my mind, my personal motivator, which is this competition that I'm having with myself, um, where, you know, I'm, I've got this goal that I'm after. Uh, but I don't personalize it. I mean, how could I? I mean, there's some Bulgarian guy there who shows up who I've never met in my life and, you know, he's got tats or, or whatever. You know, well, what does that mean to me? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just part of the wallpaper, you know. That, uh, so I don't care about who I'm competing against. It's just a matter of going there and performing on the day. So it'll be in those two parts. Yeah. Do you get nervous on game day? Um, Set the setting, Dad. All right. So we are, we've done our warm-ups. Uh, you've done your opener, so you were on the board. We've got two shots left. We're going to go for the record on attempt two, if everything's going to plan. doesn't matter who else is there. Do you have nerves on the day, and how do you deal with them if you do? Um, yeah, so I, I really try to be really calm and uh, block out the things that might lead to nerves, which is getting too interested in what everyone else is doing. Uh, so really just going into a corner, having my quiet space and focusing. And uh, really in, in those performance moments, um, the thing that has come through is that when I used to race and also the couple of times that I've competed, if I become nervous or if I become distracted, I don't perform as well. And so I don't need to think very deeply about that like okay direct correlation so what do i do to kind of block that out and um i've been amazingly unemotional on start lines where, where i've done really well so just sort of show up i know what i need to execute and in this particular case it's very technical doing the bench because you've got these three pictures that the judges want to see they want to see when you receive the weight that it's completely stationary and you have it under control. And so, so it's sort of like doing a ballet with three moves. For the judge. That's the first move. Yep. The second move is when you bring it to your chest, uh, not having it wobble around or bounce. It has to be there and at rest. Motionless. Motionless. The bar must be motionless. And the judges want to see that picture. And then when you lift, they want to see a clean lift. But at the end of it, they want to see the completion, which is that the thing is completely stationary. And so, uh, so the lift has got these three components to it. And each component has a picture associated with 
what's supposed to occur. There's an auditory part to that as well, which is that the people who are judging are calling out. And so you can't get so lost in delivering the pictures that you fail to hear the call because you can easily rack before you do, you can lift before you're supposed to, you can do all these other things. So it's very elegant because there are only these three components. Each one's got a visual thing, each one's got a sound thing, and then you've got to execute. Um, but you really have to, in my mind, you really have to be there in command of everything, knowing that this is going to happen as opposed to being in the middle of a move and then forgetting and they say, oh, I've got to lift now, I've got to do this. Yeah. So, yeah, so just, you know, being calm, that's the thing. And um, how, how, how do you do it if you get it? You've got to, if you, if you the best thing is kind of uh, stepping out of your body and observing your breathing. The brain's very tricky. It can convince you that uh, everything is fine or that, you know, this or that, one thing or another. But uh, a much truer indication of whether you're nervous or whether you're ready or whether you're hyped or something is not what you're thinking. It's actually something as simple as your breathing because your body has an autonomic nervous system and it responds to fear, anxiety, you know, these things, and it manifests usually with most people in sort of more rapid breathing, shallower breathing. And so part of, um, uh, part of what I have learned in other parts of my life is that, hey, just watch the way you're breathing. If you're starting to hyperventilate, shallow breathe, or not breathe deeply, you're, you're nervous. It doesn't matter what your brain is saying. Because yep. your body is in flight of uh, fight or flight mode. Um, that's actually something that I learned in um, stress management from a career that I had years ago. So, and it applies very specifically to athletic competitions, which are the ultimate form of unarmed combat, where you're competing against the elements, you're competing against a weight, you're competing against other people. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Um, definitely a good tip on the breathing. That is um, 100% something that people overlook, I think, when they're in the competitive sort of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So finishing up then, uh, the comp is done. When the comp is done, you're flying to go see your wife uh, over in the States. And uh, and what's the what's the first thing? A big, big pig out? You're going to go to Disneyland? What's the what's the celebration? What's what's the you know like you said you feel like you've been again face face the cameras please. Okay. What's the um you know what's the celebration? You, you you've mentioned a few times to me that you feel like you're sort of like doing minor boot camps here. You know you're at home, you're eating quite reserved to make sure you don't you know put on any any uh, unnecessary weight. You're training diligently. Uh, you're trying not to get sick. So what's the splurge? Well, uh, the thing is that there is a point at which. I want to enjoy the competition. And um, the winning is a byproduct. PB is where it's at. And, um, and if I go there and I hit PB close to it, something or other, then upon reflection, all of that stuff I've been blocking, blocking out, I want to let that in. Hey, I'm in a foreign country. I'm all these, how cool is it to have gone to a world competition? It doesn't matter if I made the podium. The number of people who qualify to go to these things and compete, you can count on one hand. And so uh, that's a great honor and a great privilege. 
to have had that opportunity. And there's a point at which I want to enjoy that. And the time I'll enjoy that is on the plane when I order a bottle of champagne. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and start, start early and say, wow, that was really great. You know, I had a great time. And if I win, it's fantastic. If I don't, then, you know, I've still got bragging rights to having gone and, you know, I hold records and you know, this and that, one thing and another. So, but yeah, I'm not against uh, celebration. I'm really into celebrating. Uh, in terms of... Uh, you know, how much I punish myself. I, I, I tend to be careful. I, mean, I don't celebrate to excess, but I do get stuck in. Good. <laughs> there you go. Well, I think that's um, basically everything that I wanted to touch over there. Um, I'm looking forward to this next week, flying out and getting stuck into the competition and in then getting stuck into some celebrating afterwards. Uh, indeed. Well, I look forward to <laughs> raising a glass with you at the end of it all. That, yeah, perfect. And, and thanks once again for being a fabulous coach. My and pleasure. My <laughs> pleasure. And, um, and, we will eventually do a, uh, a recap um, episode uh, after the event. I might have to bring a camera across to the US when we come so we can film that. But uh, we will get that sorted for everyone. Um, we will let you know how he goes. Uh, there will also be a live link. I've seen that posted on their page. I have clicked the live link and it took me to a Slovakian website, all in Slovakian. I had no idea what I was looking at. So I will try my best to find a live link for anyone that wants to watch, will hopefully be able to watch. Dad is competing this Sunday, the 23rd, 25th, what day is Sunday? 23rd. The 23rd? Yeah. So Dad will be competing this Sunday, the 23rd, Slovakian time. Um, and we will try to find a live link for that. All right. But uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't done so already, please like, subscribe. And uh, we will see you next time on the Strength Institute podcast. Thank you.